Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time to turn your garden into a smart garden on News Radio 830 WCCO. Smart Gardens, an hour of expert advice and answers to all of your lawn and gardening questions. You can call 989-9226 or text us at 81807. Now, here's Denny Law with this week's Smart Garden. Yes, indeed. Brought to us by By the Yard Outdoor Furniture. We are live here at the uh, broadcast center. <laughs> if I can call it. It's not a booth. <laughs> the porch. Bigger and bigger broadcast than a booth. Broadcast porch. Yes, our broadcast uh, facility here <laughs> at the Minnesota State Fair. I've... Uh, Added a little class to the joint here. We've got a couple of professors up here that uh, are from the University of Minnesota that help us out from time to time. Uh, Julie Weisenhorn, of course, helps us out a lot, too. But so does Eric Watkins. Eric, we don't see him, but maybe once a year, usually, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly once a year. Yeah. Now, Julie, for those folks that don't know about Eric, again, it's, it's a once a year. What, what is... Uh, why am I speaking in the third person? <laughs> you can ask himself, what is your specialty, Eric? Uh, so I'm a professor in uh, horticultural science, and I uh, am I work on turf grasses, so developing new turf grasses. He's another turf expert yeah, for us turfy. here. Yeah, So uh, we, when we say we're going to talk lawns and gardens, we mean it. Oh, yeah. Uh, so you've got a lot of help here on our veranda, and if you're uh, calling in, there's one line open. You can use it, 651-989-9226. Uh, or send a text, and we've got some of those too, uh, guys, uh, at 81807. We were talking off the air. I was working in my kind of fixing up the lawn where there may be some you know, construction things, and there's ball spots, and there's... So I did it. I, I prepared the lawn and, and got some uh, lawn... What would you call it? Lawn seed dirt? And, uh, you wouldn't some call good... that, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. But uh, this is a good time of year, isn't it, to get that done? Yeah, this is a great time to seed your lawn. Uh, as the you know, late August, early September is really the uh, ideal time. The temperatures are you know cooler nighttime temperatures. We usually have a little bit of moisture. One of the big things is the the weeds that germinate and affect your lawn. A lot of them are done for the year, so a okay. lot of those germinate in the spring or early summer. So there's not as many weed problems during the establishment of a new lawn in the fall. I was thinking about that for next year, planning on next spring, uh, putting a pre-emergent down. When is the best time to do that? Pre-emergent, so you usually use a pre-emergent for crabgrass is okay. usually what you use it for, and it's very effective. Uh, and the timing kind of depends on soil temperature, so it kind of varies from year to year. And as, as we get into spring, you might check out the extension website to see what experts are recommending. Usually it's, you know, early to middle of May is usually when the soil's warm enough. that sure. you would You have to wait till the soil's warm enough so that the herbicide's not sitting there too long uh, and it doesn't become active anymore. So you want to kind of catch it right before the crabgrass. Timing. timing is everything, as they say. 
Uh, Julie, a text came in earlier. My Japanese lilac tree is losing leaves. No insect damage to the leaves, but they are discolored. An entire branch seems to have died. What is, could be causing this? Any ideas there? Oh, boy, hard to say. It could be uh, excessive water. We've had an awful lot of water, and they might have a drainage problem in their soil. And it could be holding a lot of water down there and causing some of those leaves to turn yellow and drop off. Uh, if the rest of the tree, if it's bloomed well and it's looking great, um, I would say that, that it's probably not much to do about it now. This time of year, things start to kind of go downhill a little bit. Yeah. And, um, and so trying to treat something uh, is difficult at this point. So the best thing to do is keep an eye on it over next year and maybe work in a little bit of compost around the soil to kind of lighten it up a little bit. Okay. Text uh, came in a bit ago, Eric. Uh, should I fertilize my lawn this week and again in October? It came from Jeff in Maple Grove. Now is, a, is another, another, another great time to uh, fertilize. Uh, fall, we recommend fall. Um, there's some thought that a late fall fertilization, kind of after you've stopped mowing, might be effective uh, in terms of getting the, the grasses ready for the spring. But the main, the main time to fertilize is really right now. Right you now. Know, same time as we're talking about seeding. Early September uh, is a good time. Is there a point when it's too late to fertilize? Like you might prompt growth or... Right. So the, the timing of that late fall fertilization is kind of the trick. So if you, if you fertilize at a point that you get this flush of growth right before it gets cold, that's a problem. And this is a good time, too, for uh, uh, aeration, core aeration, isn't it? Aeration, so if you have a lot of compaction problems yeah. and you think you need to aerate, which you wouldn't in a home lawn, you wouldn't do very often, maybe every three to five years or oh, something. Oh, not, not, uh, not every year. Probably not. No, you okay. kind of do it based on, you know, is there a lot of thatch buildup in your lawn, things like that. But now's a good time to, to aerate as well. All right, let's go to the phone, 651-989-9226. And if anybody has a lawn or garden question here at the fair, just come right up and we'll... Uh, Hand you the microphone. Mary Lou is calling from Crystal with a question. Uh, go ahead, Mary Lou. Thank you. Yes, good morning. I have a question about my Annabelle hydrangea. Sure. It gets really, really tall, and then it bends over. And I'm wondering in the spring if I couldn't pinch them back. Would that, would that help the heights of them? Uh, I don't think I would pinch them back. If I, what I would maybe do is prune them down a little shorter in the spring. I'm not sure okay, how I far. Us, I usually cut them down to you the. You do, okay. To, it, yeah, pretty low to the ground. Okay, and is it in full sun or part sun or shade? Um, early morning sun. Early morning sun. So, uh, and do you fertilize it? Uh, no. Okay, that's okay because I was going to suggest that that you not fertilize it at that oh, point okay. because it's Good. it might be just getting too much growth but those those plants they tend to flop that's one of their features because their heads are so the flower heads are so big yeah. that it literally weights down the the plant and um probably that's i mean that's the nature of that plant and mm -hmm. and since you're pruning it down and you're you know it's it's healthy otherwise uh, it could be that if it's um, getting morning sun, that it maybe need, would do better with a little bit more sun. Um, oh. But um, but that might be the case is just where it is. So um, okay. they do All flop right. over. Sometimes people will put a little bit of fencing around them, and that helps. It, it, that's concealed as the plant grows. Okay. Well, thank you. Very good. Thank you for the call. That leaves another line open at 651-989-9226. All right. It came in. Creeping Charlie, help. <laughs> Yay, Be best way that to, one's for you, Eric. Best Go way to it. lose it. Yeah, I was getting worried we weren't going to get that question. <laughs> uh, so Creeping Charlie is really tough. Uh, you can uh, get rid of it with herbicide. So uh, now is a good time to start uh, spraying for Creeping Charlie. Fall is a really good time, especially after we get a little bit of frost. But the key thing is to use a herbicide that has in the mix uh, triclopyr, 
Uh, you'll often see it as a mixture that's good for clover. For instance, it might advertise it as a good clover control. Uh, so fall's a really good time. Sometimes people ask me, how can I get rid of it with, without uh, herbicides? Uh, and so then you just have to have a lot of children and, and have them pull them up. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's really hard. It's really, and yeah. you know, it's a tough weed. And sometimes, sometimes it has to do with the site. You know, there's a lot of shade, and, and it really thrives under those conditions. So. Okay, let's go back to the phones. Beverly is calling from Brooklyn Center with a question for you guys. Go ahead, Beverly. Thank you. Uh, good morning and help. I have uh, a linden tree that's only maybe three years old, and it has the Japanese beetle. Right. And I know in listening to former programs, you suggested, um, you know, the soapy water, well, you know, it's too high for that. So what do I do? Well, that and that's a great question because Japanese beetles were rampant in certain areas around the metro area in particular in southern Minnesota. It's difficult to treat a tree because of the size of the plant. And um, if it, it sounds like it's a fairly young tree, which is kind of a red flag because you don't want those younger trees that were just planted maybe a few years ago and are still establishing to become, uh, to become defoliated. However, to try to treat them is tough, and I would recommend a certified arborist to come in okay. and do that treatment for you. Okay. So you can find a publication on our extension site, and that is extension.umn.edu, and click on the garden tab and go to yard and garden. Go to um, uh, under trees and shrubs. You'll find that publication. That has a lot of good questions and information. Okay. Thank you. Yep. Right. Very good. Our phone number is 651-989-9226. Or the text is 81807. Uh, Taylor, before we break, let's uh, go to Big Lake. I think Ron has been waiting there to ask you guys a question. Go ahead, Ron. You're on CCO. Yes, good morning. Say, morning. I, I have a tomato mystery. Last uh, Saturday, my tomatoes were like four feet tall, five feet tall. I had them in tall rings. They were just lusciously green and stuff. And I, I mowed my lawn. I do not use, uh, I did not fertilize or use any weed spur or anything on the clippings. I, I mowed the clippings and I raked the clippings, made a pile out of them, and I took them down to the tomato area and I put them underneath the plants like for mulch. Sure. Just fresh. Uh, well, they were laid out for about two hours, semi-dry. Yep. Laid them down as mulch underneath the plants. Sunday morning. I noticed my tomatoes were getting kind of droopy. Now, today, I looked at them. They looked like they got frosted. They're completely dried up and trashed. Uh, none of the neighbors sprayed. Uh, just, I don't know what happened to them. It's just, uh, you got any thoughts? Um, did you look at the stems? Were the stems broken or injured or no, eaten? It, it, there's like nine plants, and they're all okay. gone. They're all toasted. And they all were, they, you put the, the, uh, Leaf clippings under all of them. Yep, normal. Uh, see, I wanted to get keep from getting sure. that yellow leaf blight. You know, that's that fungus that comes from the bottom up. And uh, my understanding is that you keep the dirt from splashing up on them. That's right. Yeah. That'll keep mm -hmm. that yellow leaf blight from going. And I did it in the spring, and I uh, had some old mulch, and I'll just give it a little extra shot. You know, and now they're they're toast. I. I might get three tomatoes out there green now, but I might get three or four tomatoes if they. Right. You know, uh, bench ripen or whatever. Did did you treat your lawn at all during the year? No. Just in the spring, I put on that pre-emergent uh, for uh, crabgrass, and I do that when uh, uh, my my trigger is when the lilacs bloom. That's the time to do it. So that's mm -hmm. why I've done it, and it always works. So. 
But no, I did not put anything on my lawn, didn't spray anything, didn't use fertilizer, nothing. I just raked them up and put them underneath there. Put them underneath by the root area around. That is, a, that is a mystery. I think I'm kind of stumped on that one. I got yeah. pictures. I'll take some pictures and send them to you on your website thing. Yeah, go to Ask Extension, send some photos. That would be great. And then also if you could tell us what variety the tomatoes are. Okay, I got, uh, there was four varieties. I got them all wrote down with a little uh, <laughs> plotted map so I know which tomato was in awesome. what area. Yeah. Well, you, you send all that uh, to... Uh, send it to, to Ask Extension. Ask, ask Extension. Yeah, or you can send it directly to me, too. You can find me on the, uh, just Google my name. Okay, you can send uh, that, yeah. Ask Extension or send it to, directly to you, too. You can send, yeah, you can just Google Julie Weisenhorn and, okay. and you'll find my email. All right, well, we'll... Uh, yeah. Well, instead of Julie, mm, we'll uh, get our best tomato expert on that. There you go. I uh, appreciate the uh, help here. I'll uh, do some uh, Dick Tracy work here and send you in the facts. <laughs> All right. Sorry. We'll figure it out. All, All right. right. Thanks. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Yep, we need to uh, take a break, and there's somebody here uh, in our uh, audience live at the fair that wants to ask you yeah, guys a question. Yeah, we have an audience. All we'll, these tough we'll, fair we'll, goers. <laughs> We'll do that when we come back uh, after uh, this break. In the Twin Cities, at least last report was 61 degrees. We'll return in just a moment. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Broadcasting live at the Minnesota State Fair on our veranda. (laughs) Nice and dry here. Uh, Folks are walking around without umbrellas right now, so I'd say it's... Good music. Yeah. That's, Where did that come from? That's the Biders, Dougie Mullen. <laughs> Good All stuff. Right. Nothing but the best here. <laughs> yeah. 651-989-9226 on our Smart Garden Show. Again, live from the fair. Uh, let's see who's been waiting on the phone, guys. It would be Ken, who's calling from Blaine with a question. Go ahead, Ken. Thank you for calling. Okay. Uh, Cliff uh, <laughs> Cliff and Apple Valley will be the next call. In. Go ahead, Cliff. Hey, good morning. How are you doing? So We're far, good. so good, Thank you. but it's early. I, I wanted to bring this to your attention. Uh, I've got a beautiful yard here in uh, the front of our house, one big area that is perfect, and I've had the lawn doctor and the really good quality people, you know, do the work on it for years. And on one side, I, I went out and I bought some, uh, I thought, premium gra- uh, grass seed, which was Kentucky bluegrass. And I put it on, and, and all of a sudden I started to notice that uh, it was turning like a lime green color, and it spread through my whole area out there. And the lawn doctor came and looked at it and says, well, Cliff, you got bent grass in there. we got to kill it. So we went to work and killed it and, and reseeded it, and it came back in the uh, spring, and it looked just great. And here just last week when we looked at it, that all that bent grass is completely back again, and it spreads right into my neighbor's yard. And uh, he said, well, it looks like we got to kill it three times again, and uh, it'll turn white, and uh, the other grass will, uh, you know, come up from underneath it. And I'm thinking, wow, I, ho- I hope that can do it, or you think i got to just tear it all up and resod it. So this is a common question we get, so it might be number two at the State Fair when we ask, ask, answer questions in the Hort Building, this is probably number two. So uh, creeping bent grass, which is the grass seen on golf greens and golf course fairways, usually in Minnesota, it's a really small seed, and it easily travels, and it can easily be a contaminant in seed if, you don't, if you're not careful about buying the right seed and high-quality seed. 
uh, and uh, sometimes it can slip in even if you've if you've paid a lot for your seed. Uh, and getting rid of it's really tough because it's a grass. So spraying a grass out of a grass is really tough, but there are some products you can use uh, that have mesotrione in them, but they're a little more difficult to get, but you can get them, uh, and, and that can be effective. But like you said, there might have been uh, just so much bank grass seed there, and some of it maybe didn't germinate that first year, and then uh, it came back. So that's, uh, you know, creeping bank grass in, in a turf lawn is, is often a problem. Okay, very good, Cliff. Let's uh, go to line one. Dennis, uh, Ken is calling from uh, Blaine, I believe, with a question. Thanks, Ken. Uh, good morning. Thank you. Uh, good morning. I have a question concerning the, uh, I have Jack in the pulpits, and they form these berry clusters. They look like maybe they're seeds. Are they seeds? Yes, and yes they are. And, then, and um, I was wondering, do you plant those just the way they are? I mean, or, or wait till they dry, or how does that work? Um, that is something I would have to look up, but those are, yeah, they are seed heads, and seeds sometimes need a cold period, in other words, a winter, for them to, uh, to actually, it's called stratification, and, uh, and in some cases, they have a seed cover over them that prevents the seeds from germinating, that seed cover has to crack or be taken off, sometimes it's done through animals eating them, sometimes it's done through mechanical damage, dropping onto rocks, or being walked on, or or something like that, and sometimes it's from moisture getting in there and then expanding in the cold. So that would be a question. I would look that up, and I'd have to look it up just like you probably will. So um, take a look at that and just um, read about that. I'm sure you can find that uh, in any of our, um, on some of the online, particularly maybe in the Wildflowers, Minnesota Wildflowers website. That might have some good information on it. And uh, take a look at that, and that'd be, I'd be curious to know what you find out. I might check that out myself. Thank you. All right, yeah. very good. We might have um, some ideas on that tomato question. Ah. So uh, I, with the information you gave us, it's, 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 this isn't a sure thing, but there are some, uh, some uh, lawn weed products, clopulerid, for example, uh, that are used against broadleafs that hang out in the soil a long time, and then sometimes they can get taken up by the plant and then end up in the clippings. And mm. that's my, that could be what happened, but uh, if you put a pre-emergent down for crabgrass, for instance, that wouldn't happen. But maybe if the product also had some broadleaf herbicide oh, in it, that sure. could be a problem. So clopyrrolid also could damage tomatoes because they're also broadleafs, much like a clover or something, right? So um, that could be the problem, and that is just carefully read the label. That you know, those kind of hazards are on the label. Read the label carefully. Uh, you know, don't just assume it's there just for tech. You know, just just to follow the law. It's there. For you to make informed choices. Yeah, so. you guys always always read the label. Always the read other, the label. The other thing I was thinking about, I was I was wondering if there are any um, any other plants around that could be toxic to those uh, black walnut, for example. Mm -hmm. Black walnut uh, in all parts of the plant, roots, leaves, fruit, produces a, a chemical called juglone, and juglone is toxic to tomatoes. It's one of the things. So you can't now. That, that may or may not be the case, but sometimes you mow things up in your clippings and then you put them on, and if his neighbors have a black walnut and those leaves are there, that might have done it. But I think Eric's is probably the more likely situation. Maybe the mystery has been solved. Yeah. We need to take a break. We have another half hour of the show to go, so if you do have a lawn or garden question either here at the fair, you can come right up to the railing. Call us, 651-989-9226. Or send us a text, and we'll pick up on that text screen, too, when we come back. That number is 81807. 61 degrees here in the Twin Cities. And welcome back. Broadcasting live, our Smart Garden show from the Minnesota wow, State Fair. Music. 
Very cool morning. It was a fresh, yeah, fresh. Refreshing. Yeah, 61 is our Twin City temperature reading. Yeah. Um, and it is still cloudy, and we do expect some showers off again on again throughout yeah. the day today. A little better day tomorrow. All right, we've got many college guys and uh, textures as well. Let's, in fact, let's pick up on some of the text messages. Uh, here's one for Eric. A gentleman uh, called from a uh, or text from a country club looking for recommendations on a fescue mix to seed in the middle of our woods. Any suggestions there? Yeah, so uh, when dealing with shady sites, fescues are great. Uh, and and the, the group of fine fescues are, are really good for that situation. So if you want to, for Minnesota, the all the fine fescues do pretty well. Um, the ones I probably like the best for Minnesota are hard fescue, chewing's fescue, and slender creeping red fescue. So if you can find a, a mix some, similar to that. Hard fescue especially is a really good fine fescue. The fine fescues all kind of look the same, but they have different attributes that make them perform a little differently during during different times of the year. Uh, hard fescue, chewing's fescue, and slender creeping red are probably your best bet. Okay, very good. Let's go back to the phones. Uh, who's been waiting? It would be Jan in St. Paul. Jan, uh, thanks for waiting. You're on CCO. Good morning. Morning. We have a peach plum tree in our backyard. And um, three years ago, it was covered with blossoms and covered with fruit. And it was marvelous. It was the first time we had seen it in years um, because we cut down a bunch of trees, and now all of a sudden it got some sun. Sure. The year after, we got about six peach plums. This year, we only got flowers on the bottom part of the tree, and when the fruit um, developed, it rotted before it was completely ripe. Hmm. So do you have a clue? Well, I think because the tree is produced before and it's obviously a good producer, um, trees do alternate. From year to year, they'll have a heavy crop one year. This is not true of all, all fruit trees, but some of them are that way, where they'll have a heavy crop one year and then a lighter crop the next year. Um, this third year that you mentioned where the fruit rotted, I would say it's either due to a weather or an insect issue, such as plum curculio, which affects stone fruits, or a combination of the two. Um, the weather we had, we've had a lot of rain, and it can cause a lot of uh, havoc with trees and fruit trees. Uh, we also have had hail, which can cause some wounding of the fruit, which can invite insects, and it just kind of escalates from there. So I'm going to say it's a combination of that. I wouldn't give up on the tree by any means, um, but I would just chalk this year up to kind of the conditions. Would it have anything to do with the fact that we had a, such a late frost this be, year? Yeah, it could be that too, except that I... I think it would have uh, killed the flower blossoms if it wasn't. I mean, that would that'd be my first inclination: is a late frost would kill the flower blossoms, and you wouldn't have any fruit at all. Yeah, that might have so killed we some. We only of the, had fruit on the bottom yeah. part of the tree, though. Yeah, so it might have killed some no of the blossoms upper, on the top part of the tree at all. Could have killed off some of those blossoms on the top. Yes. Okay. Well, we'll hope again for next year. Yeah. The fruit yeah. is certainly tasty. Well, good. That's great. <laughs> Thank right. you. Thanks, yeah, Jan. You bet. Jan leaves that line open at 651-989-9226. By the way, this particular show, we call it Smart Garden, is sponsored by our friends down near Jordan, Minnesota, that make the best patio furniture. We're using it right now. This is furniture from by the yard, made out of recycled plastic milk jugs. But if you want to try to lift the stable, you're going to need it's some really help. It's heavy. It is. Uh, let's see who else has been waiting. It would be uh, Carol 
calling in from New Hope. Carol, you're on CCO. Thanks for waiting. Yes, I also have a question on bent grass, except I um, I just realized that that's what it was. I thought it was from the dogs um, going on my yard on the boulevard area. I dug out. I've got four small spots, and I dug it out yesterday, so now I don't know what to do. If you had bent grass, it's hard to know, uh, you know, if for sure you had bent grass, but let's say you had some other, other grass that was tough to get rid of. So if you dig an area out like that, yeah. uh, what you would do then is go get some new soil, hopefully similar to the existing site as close as possible. Uh, put the, you know, fill in the dugout area with the new soil and then put down some seed and fertilizer and you want the seed to match what's already there. So it's probably Kentucky bluegrass, I would guess. So you would go to a local supplier, a hardware store or greenhouse and buy some high quality Kentucky bluegrass seed. You would put it down as soon as possible. Uh, put some fertilizer down that's got uh, quite a bit of phosphorus in it, which you want to do at seeding, and then just keep it moist, uh, and it'll germinate in about you know 10 to 15 days probably, and just kind of keep it moist through the fall, and maybe fertilize it uh, you know two week again two weeks after it germinates, and uh, that should that should work. And what kind of grass seed did you say? Well, you're going to want to match it up with whatever's there. Uh, so. You know, you probably have Kentucky bluegrass, is my guess. Okay. Something that's heavy in Kentucky bluegrass. So if that's the case, if you have Kentucky bluegrass, uh, you know, just re- you know, when you buy seed, buy a, buy a mix that has a lot of Kentucky bluegrass in it. You know, I haven't done any seeding or anything, so does it? Um, I have a company that mows my lawn. Could it spread that way? Uh, well, if it was, so weeds just find their ways to lawns, right? Like birds can pick up seed and weeds can blow around and they might be on the mower that's mowing your lawn. Um, so if it was creeping bent grass, it could have just blown in, you know, uh, it, it doesn't necessarily, the worst situation is when it comes in with the seed, you don't want to be planting weeds, right? Uh, but weed seed also comes in other ways and it might've just been dormant seed that sat there for a long time. And then all of a sudden the conditions were right for it to germinate. Okay. Thank you very much. Very good. Uh, text number, by the way, is 81807. Here's a text. My uh, Stellodoro daylilies have not had so much as one bud. They were planted last fall. What could be the problem? Uh, sometimes it takes uh, some time for plants to establish. Now, Stellas are known to be really rock-solid, tough plants. In fact, people will tend to say we overplant with those uh, daylilies. But they do bloom continually through the season. And, and if they didn't bloom this year, I would look at things like, um, is there enough sun? Are they planted in the shade? Um, are they getting enough sun? And then also, I would just give them another year. If they're healthy and green, just just chalk it up to being new plants. And that maybe you just need to wait another year, and, and next year they'll bloom, hopefully, just prolifically. Somebody wanted to know, what can can we do now to prevent Japanese beetles next year? Grub treatment? Yeah, so if you, if I guess, yeah, you could spray. I mean, insecticide is kind of the best answer to get rid of them. For, from the lawn perspective, though, uh, I think for most owners, you, you shouldn't have to worry about, I don't, I, the damage to turf is never bad enough here that I would spray a home lawn. You know, like if you had a really high-end, you know, like a golf course fairway or something that's under a lot more use, then you might think about it. But uh, a home lawn, you probably would. Now, in terms of the effects on other horticultural right. plants, you know, if it was really bad, you know, this is the time, you know, a time when you could spray for sure. Yeah, I think that um, I think with Japanese beetles, it's one of those things that we are as gardeners going to have to be more aware about, 
and just keep an eye out for when they start to emerge and then take a look at different options for that. Um, the spraying, we really, unless you have a very valuable tree that they're going after, like we mentioned, a younger tree, um, or if there's, um, you know, just something that you've just got to save, then, and, and it's not feasible to be picking them off of there, such as if you have one rose bush, you can be out there every, you know, couple times a day and picking those off throughout their time period. But spraying is tough for homeowners. They, you know, you can do it, but it's really, those adults just fly right off. So um, it's it's something that one suggestion is actually not to overwater your lawns, but to let them actually dry as they, as Sam has oftentimes told us, you know, unless you can see your footprint in your lawn, you really don't need to be watering. Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of rain this year, and that has added to kind of this great environment for those eggs and grubs to be living. So I don't know, Eric, if that makes sense to you but yeah the other thing you know as we get into fall here you're when you're when you're spraying them you're really you're spraying the the larva in the soil you know the adults will be gone and um so that you know that's a good time to treat but Mm -hmm. uh like i said like in most home lawn situations it's probably not worth doing let's go back to the phones uh uh, scott is calling from isanti with a question for you guys Uh, go ahead scott you're on cco thank you hey good morning i have a garden question not more on the turf uh since last fall I've been layering my garden. Gar- I didn't plant this year, but I've been layering it with uh, grass clippings, leaf mulch, cow manure, repeatedly all summer. Okay. My question is, am I better to till it end of the le- end of the season here when I'm done doing all that, or let it go through the winter and till it in the spring? Do you think it makes a difference? Um, I I think it would. I would probably till it um, now. And because in the spring you could you could actually turn up a lot of weed seeds, and right now, as Eric said earlier, that the weeds are not you know they're kind of finished and gone, and and you could have it ready for spring then. Um, you know, in the spring we've been getting a lot of wet springs too, so it kind of delays that opportunity to work your soil. So now uh, you know once it dries out from the rain last night, I don't know how much we got in mound, but it was a lot, and. Uh, you might then take a nice dry when that's when that's pretty dry, and you can actually till it in, and that'll be ready for next next spring. Okay, cool. All right, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. A texture says rhubarb. <laughs> After end of late June final harvest, leaves plants now weak. Some yellowish. Winter prep. They're they're, they're dying down. That's yeah. it. That's I all it worry is. About, yeah, I wouldn't worry about it. Okay. Uh, our lawn, here's one we get from time to time, and I know Eric does. Uh, our lawn is very bumpy to walk on. What is the easiest way to even it out without tearing the lawn up? I uh, yes, the bumpy question. <laughs> uh, so you can roll. You can get a roller, one of those you know big rollers. That can work. Um, what what's, what's causes that now? Um, what could be the cause? It, it could have just been that way. It could be uh, maybe you've got a lot of underground activity from moles and how about earthworms? Earthworms. It depends on how bumpy it is, right? Uh-huh. Uh, but rolling would work. Um, you know, aeration should help over time, I think, as well, to kind of smooth out. You know, like if it was really severe, what you could do is aerate and then top dress some new soil into okay, there. Okay, sure. That's what they would do, like, on a sports field or something. Uh, but, yeah, rolling or aeration. Yeah. All right. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We have more show to come here from the fair. Our Smart Garden Show heard every week here on CCO in the uh, 8 o'clock hour. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. We're back at our veranda here at our WCCO Broadcast Center. It's our Smart Garden Show. 
Julie and Gee, Eric are helping us two. out. Oh, my goodness. Nice. <laughs> sing along. Dennis has got a good friend out here. All right, Dennis. <laughs> Woohoo! Rock on. All right. Uh, in the Twin Cities, 61 degrees, uh, if you're uh, wondering. And off again, on again, showers, it looks like, throughout the day today. Uh, let's see. We've got texters, uh, Julie and Eric. We've got calls. I'll tell you what. Let's... Let's get back to the phones, then we'll pick up on some text messages. Let's see who's been waiting out there. Uh, John is calling from Anomaly with a question. Go ahead, John. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. We had a visit from the Japanese Beatles this summer, like everybody else did. <laughs> yeah. They're gone, I think, now. I assume then they laid eggs, and uh, we've got, I assume, grubs then that are developing in the, in the ground. You kind of alluded to this question before. So should I go after those grubs, or isn't really necessary to do that uh if you want it yeah that that's how you can control them right you can you can spray now this fall and this is a good time to get them because the grubs are higher in the soil surface they're not as big because they've you know they'll have recently uh recently uh developed as as young larvae so yeah if you this is if you're going to use insecticides to control grubs and i'm not an entomologist but this is a this is a very good you know soon will be a good time to get them uh and and it won't be ineffective. This is a good time to do it. The question when we were talking about before, the question is, is it necessary? Like, do you have enough of a problem to warrant spending money and time on insecticide when you might not need it? That's really the thing you have to kind of think through. Yeah, that's a great point. We do have some good uh, information from our entomologist, Jeff Hahn, and it's on our extension site on the Yard and Garden News blog, and that is at extension.umn.edu click on the garden tab and go to yard and garden and then if you look over on the side under resources you'll see a yard and garden blog you can google yard and garden blog too from umn and and he's got a a good publication on that a good posting about japanese beetles and uh some of the things to know about them but eric's exactly right it's kind of you know how do you know that you have a grub problem they might be somewhere else and just you know those adults fly into all sorts of different environments whereas they may not actually have laid any eggs in your lawn (laughs) <laughs> it, may not, it may not be necessary, you're saying. Right, right, yeah, exactly. Um, if I do want to sp- uh, spray, what what would you recommend using, like a Grub-X? Or? Yeah, I don't have a specific recommendation, but there's a lot of Grub products. You can go to where they where they sell insecticides and look through and see, you know, see the advantages and disadvantages. Once again, like we talked about with the herbicide, you want to just carefully read the labels so you're applying correctly and not uh, damaging things that uh, can't be, uh, shouldn't be applied to. Right. If you have uh, if you have one or two plants that are really like if you grow roses and you have a val- you know a valuable rose bush and you want to protect it a, a, a fine netting over it during the the time period when the uh, beetles are here is one way to resolve that. I mean it's one it's a barrier, but if you have it very limited, if they're only coming to a couple of your plants, you might want to manage it that way too. Usually it's just the two. Two trees, the Norway maples, they attacked. Yeah, the trees are difficult because they're just such big, big plants. Would I want to apply the uh, chemical for the grubs in the spring also? I think the fall's better. Uh, You know, as these grubs, the grubs overwinter and they kind of, through the fall now, they'll go deeper and deeper and deeper, and then they'll come back up in the spring. So they'll they'll be bigger and deeper, so they're a little harder to get get at in the spring. So fall's, fall's a preferred time. Very good, uh, John. Well, you have to move on. Let's see. Uh, who's been waiting? It would. It's uh, Chris in Minneapolis. Go ahead, Chris. Line two, Chris. 
I have some very uh, small clematises that I want to plant, but the area, the only one I have that gets a lot of sun is between the foundation and the sidewalk, and it's less than 10 inches across. <laughs> I was wondering if that would work. Yeah, that's pretty small for clematis if you want them to reach any kind of size. The other thing about clematis is they really need good root environment. Okay. Um, and it has to be very well drained and have good loamy soil. Uh, we often stick them into these tight spots between fences and, and okay. our property. So I would say try to find something else or just admire the ones at the Arboretum in the Clematis collection. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and the other, question, I do. the other question I have is um, my um, Jack in the Pulpits. Now, of course, they're getting their red seeds. Yep. Uh, I want to give some to somebody else. Should I dry those or just give them as is? And uh, I know sometimes they drop off now. Um, should I just leave them and let them go into the ground or what? Though we actually had somebody who called earlier about Jack oh. in the pulpit. Oh, and I didn't it, hear that. Yeah, and actually I had to defer to uh, that. Would be something that I would have to look up. And oh, okay. So I would say take a look at that. There's a lot of information. The Minnesota Wildflower website might have information on the Jack in the pulpit. You could start with that. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot. Yeah, Very you good. bet. Bye. Let's take a look at the uh, tech screen. When is the best time to transplant hydrangeas? Uh, I would wait and transplant them in the spring. Spring. You could buy new ones now and plant them. That's great. But I think transplanting is easier when you can cut the plant back and then manage it on a smaller scale. I don't know how often uh, Eric runs into this particular problem, but a storm knocked a live power line into my yard. It left a serpentine burn mark in the grass. Will it come back, or what do I need to do? It probably killed that bit of grass. Now, it's probably not a real wide path but right. if it is a wide path you might have to throw down some seed this fall you could just kind of rough up the surface a little bit and just drop the seed right into it uh, but if it's just a narrow path and it you know grasses will tiller and use their rhizomes to make new plants so it might be okay uh any squirrel resistant perennials <laughs> mm, daffodils daffodils oh, are really? uh, yeah daffodil bulbs are poisonous and squirrels will not dig them up and eat them like they do with your uh, tulips. So that's a perennial. Uh, that's one of our spring-blooming uh, lovely, lovely uh, bulbs. And you can plant those now. Start thinking about planting them now. And uh, that's the one that comes to mind. Otherwise, uh, it's a matter of just making it inhospitable for the squirrels and, <laughs> and uh, you know, making sure you're not, you haven't got excessive cover around the plants. And, and um, yeah, get a dog in there and... <laughs> Nat Big a cat, natural, maybe I don't a natural know. enemy. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. That's tough with squirrels. It is. They're yeah. tricky little devils. They really are. <laughs> Let's go back to the phones. Let's go to Mankato. Sue is uh, waiting there to ask you guys a question. Sue, uh, thank you. You're on CCO. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Just a quick question. Uh, we have several patches of light green grass, probably a 24-inch diameter or so, throughout the yard. What's causing that, and what can I do with it? I'll hang up and listen. Thank you. Light green grass. Well, without, that's yeah. kind of, <laughs> there's a lot of things that could be. It could be patches of, for instance, yellow nutsedge. Uh, you know, like for those of you who see this light green plant growing much more quickly than your turf grass this time year, and I've seen quite a bit of it recently when it's been wet, uh, that could be yellow nutsedge, and then it's a weed that you can either spray or dig out. Um, it could be... The if it's circular, that could be the result of like uh, uh, decaying old stumps maybe underground that are affecting uh, how much nitrogen is being released from the soil. 
Uh, with that description, it's it's kind of difficult uh, difficult to say. But if it, if it's if it's light green and it's exactly the same species that's in the rest of the lawn, then it's something like you know there's something in the soil that's affecting nitrogen release, for instance, uh, or nutrient relationships. But uh, otherwise, it's probably a weed problem. Here's one we get from time to time. What's the best method to eradicate moles? Oh, I've moles. used smoke bombs, traps, pitchforks, grub pellets, <laughs> you name it. I've tried it. Those all sound good to me. <laughs> <laughs> but we we talk. I don't have any. You know, you, there's nothing. You, that's that's what you do, right? You have to kill them all. Yeah. So yeah, whatever, whatever you can like do. Like it or them not, all. it's yeah. the lot. Yeah. The the uh, yeah the like, guillotine yeah, I call the, it. The yeah. guillotine. <laughs> and it could be that back to the grub problem. It could be that there's a lot of mole activity because they're finding stuff to eat. There's food. Right? So there could yeah. be food. So that could be related. But and otherwise, you just have source. to get rid of the food source and just figure out how to kill them all. I'm looking at the clock on the wall, as they say, and it's uh, we have less than a minute to go, guys. I think one of the things, too, just to follow up on that, is yeah. I, I know Mary said that there, she's been getting a lot of rabbit questions. Oh, they're everywhere. And, yeah, that rabbits are prolific. And one of the things to do is we talked about removing the food source for moles. Well, remove any kind of habitat. If you've got sticks that you've been piling up in the corner of your lot or you've got uh, brush that needs to be cut back, create an inhospitable environment for the rabbits. You're, pr- you're creating really nice... Uh, living quarters for them with these piles of brush and things. So get rid of those. Get them to your compost site. With the remaining seconds, how about the website at the U of M? Uh, extension.umn.edu. Click on the garden tab and go to yard and garden. We also have an excellent uh, turf site, turf.umn.edu, I think it is. Yeah, the, that's a great place to learn, for instance, about buying grass seed. There's a page on how to, you Ooh, know, where I'm to look gonna, for grass I'm seed. I'm going to look at like that today. Yeah. Eric, good to see you. See you next year. Yeah, see you next year. Julie, yeah. always a pleasure. See you later. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.